This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. I'm Ken Napsuck, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire, and let's take a look at some of our favorite moments, the quiet little moments and scenes in the final two episodes of season seven. A lot to dig in there, and let's take a look at episode six, the Alan Taylor, DGA-nominated Alan Taylor, uh, directed Beyond the Wall. The sixth episode, high viewership numbers, successful in a lot of ways, big episode with the death of Viserion, but it may be the least liked episode of the season. Uh, It seemed to have the most controversy uh, tied to it, other than the the Sansa Arya storyline had some controversy all the way through it, some people not liking it, but this episode seemed to raise the most questions about how long... Uh, it takes to fly a dragon north. How long does a raven uh, need to fly south? How fast can Gendry run? Should Gendry have even been there? Is that too much fan service? A lot of those type of things. And then that the mission itself, which was in story and out of story, kind of kind of silly and dangerous for almost no reason. How is that going to happen? And shouldn't more people have paid the price on this mission other than the uh, wildling red shirts? And Thoros of Mir, though I think that's somewhat disrespectful to Thoros of Mir. I mean, the guy's been doing some good work in the story, going back to even his days um, when he was fighting along Ned and Robert and, and Jorah back at the Siege of Pike. And then his work with the Brotherhood Without Banners, you know, proved to be pretty valuable. But he is gone and the only one to really die of importance. And that raised some eyebrows. But when I'm trying to think of the little moments in this episode, we talked a lot. We've talked already about the conversations that happened between a lot of the uh, characters, Tormund and the Hound, Jorah and John, Gendry getting schooled by everyone up there and teased. Uh, that was a lot of fun in the episode. But then the episode gets uh, gets stressful, gets big, and there's not a lot of those little tiny moments. And then you have the stuff with Sansa and Arya. And that was uh, not to a lot of people's liking. But, you know, I, I in the end, that storyline served its purpose. It wasn't my favorite either. I will admit that. Uh, but I'm okay at the end of the day of Baelish dying. And we can talk about that moment later on. But some of the moments in Episode 6 that I really do like that are smaller amongst the big moments was actually seeing Viserion die. Not happy about it. Not celebrating the death of this beautiful creature. Only to have him reborn again. But... There was some dread in that moment. Now, we survived this moment with Drogon earlier, where Bronn was uh, shooting scorpion uh, arrows at him, the the big ones there. We kind of went through that stress. We didn't want Drogon to die any more than we wanted Viserion to die. But here he is, and uh, Viserion pays the price. And there's something in that moment when it actually happens. And I think we all right away knew it was going to happen. It just kind of made sense. The Night King's there. He's got the javelin. He's doing the old, like, wind test. He's all set. Simple toss. And he gets it and kills it. But the moment it actually happens, it's kind of one of those, like, you gasp type of moments. Because we didn't think we'd see dragons having this much action, this much war 
when we saw those uh, little baby dragons hatch. Now we're actually seeing one die, and we, we'd kind of always thought about it. Kind of always had those conversations off air, like, what if a dragon dies? What if a dragon becomes an ice dragon? To actually see it happen and to realize that this was probably going to happen, it took, took my breath away in a good way. It was a little moment in the big uh, ice fire and uh, well not ice fire yet but uh, in the big battle there and I think a lot about this episode was too I think it was a good episode I think over time people might like it a little better but just it was easy to predict we figured Danny would come save the day and then there would be some kind of cost and Thoros dies uh, but then Viserion is actually the big loss but you kind of could predict that, and then, all right, our our years of fan fiction are coming true. We're going to get an ice dragon. I do love the moment. I do, do love the reveal. I've never worried too much about where the Night King got those big chains. Hey, he's a well-prepared Night King. So that's one of my moments from Season 7, Episode 6. We're also going to talk about Season 7, Episode 7, the final one. The last one we have right now. You guys can call in with your thoughts here on Daily Thrones. All right, let's talk about the Benjamin Stark moment because I've talked about it a lot of here on the uh, station, but I, I want to really put this down. That moment is a, a big reveal, a wonderful reunion, something we kind of been waiting for uh, for a while. We know Benjamin was back, but Benjamin and John mean something. Benjamin and John face to face has some weight to it, and yeah, initially it's like, whoa, that was it. But I really think that's all you needed and it served a purpose. And it goes, if you go back to that season one moment where Benjamin and John first meet, I love the poetry there. Whether intentional or not, I don't know if you've ever got that official answer. I love that the first time you see Benjamin Stark riding in in season one, races in on his horse, Jon Snow is there taking practice swings on a dummy with his sword. And then the last time, they see each other. Now they do have conversations at the wall, all that kind of stuff. But then the last time they see each other, Benjamin is running in on his horse and John is swinging away with his sword at White's. I love it. There's poetry there. It just makes sense. And I love the realization on John's face of what's happening and that this is all he's going to get. Should Benjamin have jumped on the horse? Maybe. Maybe, but maybe he also felt that that was the end of his journey. That was the end of his story. This is what he needed to do to buy John time to make sure John got away. And how would Benjamin factor in if he did stay alive and, and, and get on the horse and go down? All right, he goes to the wall. He can't pass it, but he just kind of sit there and wait, taking some swings at the White Walkers and Whites as they raced on down. Would he have been able to take down Nice dragon. I don't know. Fair questions to ask. But I love the moment we got. I think it adds weight to what we saw in season one. And it's helped save Jon Snow. And that is probably more important. Hey, Ken. So the next moment I want to talk about comes from the season seven finale, The Dragon and the Wolf, the longest episode of the show has ever done, and I think it's a really great episode. There's so many reunions in this episode, and the reunion I wanted to talk about that I found very intriguing was actually the Hound and Bran. Bran thought he was dead, so seeing the Hound for her was quite a shock, and I love when they talk, and she says to him, I was only trying to protect her, and he says, hey, look, you and me both, and then he informed, she informs him, I should say, that she's alive, and he almost looks, you know, like, happy to hear that, and he's like, who's protecting her, though, if you're here, and she says, 
you know, the only person that needs protecting is anyone that, like, tries to harm her. And then the hound looks over at her and says, it won't be me, kind of indicating that he has no ill will towards Arya because I really do feel, in the end, he really, truly did like her. Oh, the Hound and Brienne reunion is only a battle away. Hey, Eric, you're talking about a great moment there. The the Hound Brienne reunion. We we've talked about it here on Daily Thrones, and uh, you know what? I, I say that a lot, but that's because we talk about a lot of wonderful things here on Daily Thrones, and we're going to continue to talk about a lot of wonderful things here on Daily Thrones. I love that moment because it is showing uh, the hound in his own way, always staying true to himself, but still inquiring about Arya, still kind of maybe in awe of Brienne, little respect for the person that beat him in battle. He had mentioned it before, uh, talking about I was beaten by a woman. He, he, he admits to that, and that's a little bit tough in Westeros at this time. And here he is face to face. In an odd way, I don't think the Hound holds any ill will towards Brienne. He survived it and has become a changed man. A broken man first, but a changed man after. That's pretty interesting. Um, so I like that moment. Good call, Eric. It's part of what makes that finale of Season 7 so rich and satisfying. Hey, Ken. Season 7 has so many little moments that I love, but the two I have to mention first both come from the finale, The Dragon and the Wolf, and they revolve around the children of Ned Stark, both Born, Sansa, and Arya, and Rhys, John and Theon. One of the key themes of the series is Ned's legacy and how it was interpreted and carried on by the children he raised. We see that acutely in the scene with John and Theon on Dragonstone when John tells Theon that while he can't forgive everything Theon has done, what he can't forgive he does. Ned is part of them both, and Theon doesn't have to choose. He's a Greyjoy and a Stark. Key foreshadowing, I believe, for how John will ultimately reconcile his own Stark Targaryen lineage. Then there's the scene with Arya and Sansa on the battlements of Winterfell, which I absolutely adore. I always get a little choked up when they start quoting Ned. In winter, we must protect ourselves, look after one another. When the snows fall and the white winds blow, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. But the moment that truly gets me is when Arya says, I miss him. And Sansa, very softly, very quietly, whispers, me too. Every time. I cry every time. Jared with some wonderful words about the Stark children, Theon included, in Game of Thrones. And it really starts to uh, emerge at the end of Season 7. The shadow, the legacy, the influence of Ned Stark. You can feel it. And you're right, Jared. That is a great moment. Arya's changed. She's a killer now. She's ruthless. She's been through a lot. Sansa's perhaps even been through more. And she is uh, a leader, a ruler. And uh, that carries its own weight and stresses. But here they are, seven years later, still the daughters of Ned Stark. That moment, that raw moment, I miss him, so do I. You're right, it, it is a tear-inducing moment. And Game of Thrones brings a lot of tears sometimes. And a lot of uh, pain, a lot of suffering. A lot of times you just want to throw things at the TV. But that moment is sweet and powerful in its own tiny little way. And that is why we talk about these tiny moments, these quiet moments, these little scenes in Game of Thrones. We've gone through seven seasons. We can still talk about more. If you'd like a scene discussed, call in anytime here on Daily Thrones. But it's been a fun journey going through these seven seasons, going through basically every episode and looking at these tiny, quiet little moments that build the story, that build the characters, and make us keep coming back for more Game of Thrones. <laughs>